Good morning, brothers and sisters. Good morning. Friends, good to see everybody. I thank God every day for our family in Christ that we can come up here and meet with and remember the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, when when uh, when Adam and Eve sinned, when they crossed over the line, when they went against God's commandment, the only way for them to live was for there to be a sacrifice that God would accept to take away that condemnation that he placed upon them because of their transgression against him. And he provided the shedding of blood and the covering the coats of skin. The fig leaves were not sufficient. There had to be a covering that God would supply. And I think about that often when um, I don't know, things just don't stay with me anymore, I'm sorry. I had something in my mind I wanted to say to you, and it's, it's gone forever or for what, I don't know, but anyway. This talk I'm going to give this morning was given 105 years ago. And as I go through it, I think you'll see how necessary it is today as it was then. And I wanted to share it with you. It's called Resurrection in Type. With regard to the question, who are amenable or subject to the judgment seat of Christ, I have tried to discern from the types and forms of truth written for our instruction in the Old Testament whether there is anything made known which will justify the contention that others will appear before the tribunal besides those who have made a covenant with God by the blood of sprinkling and obedience to Christ in baptism. There are two or three types bearing upon the subject to which I should like to call attention namely the deliverance of Israel from Egypt, their journeyings through the wilderness, and the crossing of Jordan into Canaan. In Egypt, Pharaoh, his magicians, and his host, we have types of the present evil world lying in wickedness and under condemnation. The flesh and all its powers headed up as it will be in the latter days by the dragon, the false prophet, and his angels. In order to save Israel, in order to save Israel from destruction with the Egyptians, in order to save Israel from destruction with the Egyptians, the Passover lamb, a type of Christ, had to be slain and its blood, a type of the blood of the everlasting covenant 
And that's what took place in the Garden of Eden. That was the blood of the everlasting covenant in type. Sprinkled on their doorposts. Whoever was covered by that blood was saved from death when the destroying angel passed through the land. And in virtue of it, Israel was ultimately brought through the Red Sea and saved from bondage and death, which they celebrated in their song of triumph on the opposite shore, a type of all who, sprinkled with the blood of the covenant, enter the name of salvation. And I don't see that there's any other way. The Egyptians, types of men in their flesh, uncovered by the blood of Christ, were all destroyed, and not one of them left. Not one. Here then we have a remarkable foreshadowing of that salvation which God has provided for all who are in Christ, and of the total destruction of all not in Christ. We do not read of a third class of responsible ones in this connection. There's nothing there. They were either covered by the blood and saved, or they were uncovered and destroyed. In Israel, in the wilderness, the tabernacle services, the crossing of the Jordan, and their settlement in the land, we have a series of types of the spiritual Israel in their probation, their death, and resurrection, and appearing before the judgment seat of Christ with their subsequent immortalization and establishment with Christ in the heavenly places in the age to come. To begin with the tabernacle service, we see that atonement for sin by bloodshedding was the basis of God's dealings with Israel. On the day of atonement, the blood of the sin offering, which represented that of Christ, had to be taken into the holiest of holies, a type of Christ going into the presence of God through his own blood, and he was saved by his own blood, which was shed, as we are through him. In the two goats, we see how that resurrection can only take place on the ground of the blood of the covenant having been shed. The two goats and the fit man who led away the scapegoat all typify one Christ. The popular idea about being made a scapegoat is altogether wrong. The scape or escaped goat missed the punishment and went free. Sin was typically transferred to the goats, which then represented sin's flesh. One was then slain and sin condemned in it, and the other, the scapegoat or escaped goat, was led away by a man into an uninhabited land and never again seen. The man came back into the camp, washed himself and his clothes, and was clean. In this we have typified how that by Christ and in Christ sin has been atoned for. 
sin's flesh condemned and its nature put away. Christ died. He rose again on the morning of the third day. But after speaking to Mary, was not seen again till he came back in the latter part of the day when his sin nature was then gone. He had ascended to the nature of his father. He had been immortalized and was clean in every sense of the word, free from that sin nature. Now in the case of the cleansing of the leper, we have a type of how a sinner can obtain eternal life and immortality. When the leprosy came out white all over a man, the priest pronounced him a fit subject for cleansing. The leper then brought his two birds, one of which was slain over running or living water, and its blood mingled with it. The priest took the live bird, scarlet, hyssop, and cedarwood. He dipped them all in the blood and water and sprinkled the leper with it seven times, thus identifying the man with the birds in death and in life. The living bird was then let fly into the open field, which was a type of resurrection. Here the leper represents a sinner making full confession of his sins, allowing all to come out, cloaking nothing, repenting fully, and thus becoming fit for cleansing by being baptized into Christ's death and subsequent resurrection. The leper, after his cleansing, remained in the camp, but out of his tent, for some days a type of a believer's probation on the eighth day he went into his tent and was covered by it now a tent in the figurative language of the scripture represents a human body here then we have a type of a cleansed and baptized believer at the end of his probationary career being clothed upon with his house from heaven. Or in the language of the New Testament, this mortal putting on immortality. We can now clearly see where the apostles, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, got their doctrine and arguments from. And we cannot do better than come to the same fountain of truth to get a solution of our difficulties. No uncircumcised Gentile outside of Israel's camp could have been a subject of priestly judgment or of a typical cleansing and resurrection. God alone judged them. My mouth is dry. Israel at the end of 40 years found themselves in Abel Shittim S-H-I-T-T-I-M Abel Shittim it was here that they sinned with the Moabites 
Remember that? And in consequence, 24,000 of them were slain. Therefore, it is associated with sin and death. The name Abel Shittim, translated, means a place of rods, thorns, scourges, vanity, and mourning. What more appropriate description could there be for the grave? It is the last stage of the wilderness journey for nearly all probationers for eternal life. Shittim, as a type, is evidently connected with corruptibility. For all the wooden parts of the tabernacle was made of what kind of wood? Shittim wood, that's right, Shittim wood. Overlaid with what? Gold, exactly right. Or corruptibility clothed upon with incorruptibility. While they were in Shittim, Joshua, we are told, rose early in the morning, and after three days, the officers went through the camp and told the people that they were to pass over Jordan, that the ark would go before them about 2,000 cubits, which is very significant, and that they were to keep it in view, to keep the ark in view, so that they might know the way. Christ has risen, and soon he will send forth his angels, or officers, to gather together his elect to judgment from the four winds of heaven. Now, Jordan signifies the river of judgment. It rises in the Lebanon mountains, and the name Lebanon means white, white, a symbol of righteousness, from which we learn that the judgment will be conducted on principles of strict righteousness. The River Jordan runs about 200 miles through the valley and ends up in the Dead Sea or the Sea of Death, in which many who do not pass the judgment but at last be overwhelmed. The ark borne by the priests represented Christ. When the feet of the priests bearing the ark touched the waters of the Jordan, the waters rose up and stood in a heap, very far from the city of Adam, so that the people could pass over. Christ will be the judge, and then the ark in the Jordan, we have a type of his judgment seat. All Israel passed from Abel Shittim, or the typical grave, through the Jordan, before the ark, and thence to Gilgal. After placing 12 memorial stones, one for each tribe, in the river where the priest's feet stood, 12 stones were also taken on to Gilgal representing the whole Israel of God. In this we have a type of all believers in covenant with God by the blood appearing before the judgment seat of Christ and in the circumcision at Gilgal where the reproach of Egypt was rolled away from off the people. We have a type of the complete destruction 
of the flesh nature of all who pass the judgment and are approved by their being changed from flesh to spirit nature, the highest form of circumcision, and established with Christ in the heavenly places in the age to come, in the full power of resurrection life, as shown by their afterward keeping the Passover and eating the old corn of the land, it will be observed that none are spoken of as passing before the judgment seat, the ark, but Israelites, or those only who are in covenant relationship with God by bloodshedding. I take it then that in these types and the arguments reasoned out of the scriptures, we have the evidence of two witnesses which point to one conclusion, namely that only those for whom the blood of Christ avails, as in Ephesians 2 and 13, I will be the subjects, I'm sorry, will be the subjects of resurrection and judgment by Christ. And as far as I can see, brethren, there is no other way. I think the types and shadows of the law bear out the fact that it is those who enter into the covenant with God that will be raised and judged according as their deeds shall be. This was written by Brother Harvey, the sanctuary keeper, March 1895. 105 years ago. Almost.